welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Chris Brown. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. at a passage that Jesus uh, referred to uh, referred to prayer in. Uh, it's in the book of Mark, chapter 9, uh, reading from verse 14, and I'm going to read from the, the New King James Version. And uh, it says, when, when he came to the disciples, this is after the transfiguration, so he came back to the other disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him, greeted him. He asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, teacher, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered them and said, oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Just stop there for a second. Interestingly, you know, Jesus was often uh, shocked and commenting on faith. In this case, the lack of it. In other times, he was uh, encouraged by it with the centurion and saying, oh, this is great. I haven't seen, this is, this is what I'm looking for. And last week we, we were talking about faith. I was reading from the book of Hebrews. You may remember Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, without faith... It's impossible to please God. And conversely, as you see here, without faith, if you don't have faith, you're displeasing God. So we want to have faith. We want to be able to extend and uh, apply the faith that we have got uh, to please God. I don't know about you, but I like the idea that I can be pleasing to God. I don't like the idea of Jesus going, oh, you're faithless. You know, pumpkin head or whatever, you know, and uh, he'd use a, a, a gentle rebuke, you know. Just, uh, so, uh, you know, he's a little stirred up by that. Um, so he says, bring the boy to me. And they brought him to him. And when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell on the ground and wallowed, foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood. And often he has thrown him both into the fire and into water to destroy him. This is a very disturbing situation. But notice what the father says. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Flip, that's a challenge, isn't it? All things are possible to him who believes. So there again is a stir for us. To be a believer. It's one thing to call yourself a believer. It's another thing to really use that belief. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to stop there and notice that statement. I think that's one of the best statements in the Bible. It's raw and honest because he's talking about his faith and where the faith is sort of finding its realm and where it's just not able to go any further. He's being very honest. Now, like me, you've probably met people who are on 
vastly different sides of that statement. I've met people who, like I said, call themselves believers, but there's no belief. There's, there's no sense of, like this guy says, I do, Lord, I do believe. I've met Christians who, uh, I don't know where their belief in God is or in his word, because if they face trouble, they just lose the plot just like that. They go straight to fear, worry, doubt, anxiety, and there's no attendance to God's word, to God's promises, to the peace of God that he can bring in that situation. There's no faith in God or prayer towards God. It's just a walk, sadly, of unbelief. And I guess all of us at different times have felt that tendency. Maybe we've just, you know, gone haywire emotionally when we could have just pressed into God and believed that things are going to work out, that God is on the throne, as they say, that God has got things under control. Um, And so that's obviously not a place we want to be at, where we we don't attend to his word and his promises and we we want to have faith in God. But I've met other people who have gone so far the other side to be so bold in their faith talk, but it's really not all faith. It's just prideful presumption. And they're talking it up and they're making all these great claims. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be fine. But they're really not believing for God's will. They're not actually attending to God's word to find out what they should believe for. It's really just a little bit of wild shooting from the hip about what they want and then calling that faith. And then sadly, you sometimes see that person very disappointed because what they went for didn't happen and then they've got to figure out well maybe that wasn't God's will well I like this father uh, here because he's not talking it up beyond what he really has honest real faith for but but neither is he just you know out out of faith completely he's not doubtful he's he's coming to the Lord and he's like oh Jesus I believe but oh I got to admit there's a limit there's a limit I need your help And we should pray prayers like that, just to be honest and raw. And the Bible says that faith can come. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, Romans 10, 17. And so we we can, you know, you get get faith for what you hear, what you listen to, what you were influenced by. And so as we hang out with God and get into his word, our faith will rise and grow. So um, back to the story, we read on verse 20. Five, it says, Jesus saw that the people came running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and enter him no more. And so uh, notice there, of course, that, you know, spiritual forces can affect people physically, you know, and not to say that uh, modern science and medicine and doctors uh, don't have a role to play, but sometimes we are looking for physical solutions for spiritual issues and problems. And we need to attend to what God is saying and what maybe the devil is doing and what God's answer to that is. And it's not to say that we go, you know, hunting for devils around every corner and that everything's a demonic spirit. But in this case, it's, uh, you know, a spiritual issue that is manifest in this kid in uh, physically, physical ways. Uh, and so Jesus rebukes the spirit, uh, casts it out of him. Spirit cried out, convulsed him greatly, came out of him, and he became as one dead, so that many said... He is dead. (laughs) Well, uh, but Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up and he arose. And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so Jesus said to them, this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. 
Notice that last statement. This can only come out by prayer and fasting. Now that's the New King James Bible uh, version and not all modern translations like your Bible may not have got the fasting bit in there. The, King, the New King James includes it. Um, many of the source manuscripts do have the reference to fasting. But uh, notice that fasting in itself is not the big deal. Fasting is assistance to prayer. The focus is on the prayer. Um, so I want you to think about that this morning. Look, we're all very accomplished at different things, different, um, uh, you know, abilities. You can organise things, get things done. Um, I look around and I see people who are talented teachers, uh, engineers, uh, great homemakers, some brilliant cooks. Uh, we've all got skills and, you know, abilities. Some people are great leaders forging ahead with what needs to be done and others are mercy people helping people along the way uh, um, I noticed young Raiden he's out with kids Raiden, Simon's son uh, Raiden was up on the screens last week doing it all on his own at the age of 11 all the words and all this stuff I thought that's pretty impressive and he can weld come on at the age of 11 I can't weld. I'm still waiting for Simon. Teach me how to weld. Um, that's impressive, little kid, welding away. Um, so we're all good at something, and lots of things. We're all, but there's some things that we can't do. There are some things that we really cannot do on our own, as good as we are, and that's why we pray. That's why we've been given the privilege. And the power of prayer. And some things just simply cannot be accomplished without prayer. And so God invites us to call him in to situations. And this was one of those situations. And so prayer brings the power of God to change a situation that needs changing. You'll agree. This isn't a great setup for this boy, for the father, for their family. And prayer is going to change it. Jesus, uh, you know, has his level of authority. The disciples had a, a, a level of authority that they had learned to work with, but this was beyond where they were at. And, and that's why Jesus said, well, this, is, this requires something a little deeper. Because there's prayer and then there's prayer. You know, there's quick prayer, easy prayer, just off-the-cuff prayer, Lord, bless me prayer, you know... I love the cartoon of a pastor. Uh, pastors, you'll probably relate to this. It shows a, shows a pastor walking along and, it, and he says, Oh, there's Bob. I said, I'd, I said I'd be praying for Bob. Lord, bless Bob. Hey, Bob, been praying for you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so there's those prayers where, you know, people say, Oh, will you pray? Yeah, yeah, sure, I'll pray about that. Oh, yeah, Lord, bless them. Did you pray about that? Um, yeah, well, yes. <laughs> you know. But then there's prayer where it just calls us deeper. Prayer that is, uh, that is involving fasting, uh, that, that focuses our prayer, because fasting helps us turn away from food or entertainment or whatever we, whatever we fast from so we can pay attention to God. And, and to his power that we need in that situation. 
And that's, of course, where the disciples found themselves. A quick prayer just wasn't enough. The level of authority that they were used to just didn't cut it here. So they needed to go deeper. And that's what they were learning. That's what Jesus was wanting them to understand. As the old timers used to talk about, they needed to tarry or to travail uh, in prayer, meaning to wait on God, to, to push in to God's presence, to his will, to his word. And, uh, you know, some things really are a fight. Uh, Jesus said, ask and it'll be given. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened. So asking, you know, sometimes there's something you can ask for. Bang, God's a loving father. Jesus in the same passage said, you guys, your fathers, you, you bless your kids. How much more then will your heavenly father give you good gifts, give you good gifts when you ask him? So ask, but knocking and seeking, that sort of sounds a little more like intercession or pressing in or travailing or pushing or fighting. There's a, there's a, a sense where there's something that may not come easily or quickly sometimes. And, uh, and so, you know, we, we sometimes have to wait on God and, and, and push into to his presence, even though we know something is God's will. So salvation, you know, Second um, uh, Peter chapter 3 says, God does not wish that any should perish, but everyone should come to repentance. So we know it's God's will for people to be born again, to accept Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, to commit their life to Christ. But it doesn't happen all the time, easily, quickly to everyone. And so what's going on? It's, it's, there's, there's spiritual forces, there's you know, temptations over people to not attend to who Jesus really is or to distract them, to live just in the material world and not think about spiritual things or to stay, you know, backslidden and cold towards God or offended with God or churches or because of, you know, what's happened to them in the past. All kinds of forces that hold people back from knowing God. And so that's the kind of prayer that needs to be prayed that, requires some pushing in some stretching and uh and of course we need to pray about that because that's one of the key reasons we're here in our community to you know that's part of our our true north to see people come to know christ because everything else we do as christians and as a church we can do in heaven we can worship fellowship fellowship encounter god we do that that's awesome but we'll also be doing that in heaven but soul winning sharing our faith, witnessing, doing the work of the evangelist, that's the one thing that we can only do this side of the pearly gates and needs to be done. And of course, it's, it's something that requires not just our, our witness, but the power that undergirds that through prayer, the influence that God can bring to touch someone's heart. And, uh, and so, you know, we, in fact, we're called not just to pray for oh, just that person or this person, but to pray for revival. An awakening, a community-wide awareness of who Jesus is. And I've seen that a couple of times. You know, when I first got saved uh, in the late 70s, it was the end of the Jesus uh, revolution. It started, you know, over in America on the West Coast, all these hippie kind of people. And uh, we were wannabe hippies, uh, you know, walking around the streets in bare feet, pretending not to be ridiculously cold and... (laughs) saw just you know the first time I went to church I didn't have shoes on you know and the minister was great because some people didn't like that we went we had to go and kneel down to have communion in the Anglican church and there were some people that didn't like these young guys it was and it was um it was cold I remember it was it was winter 
It's how ridiculous, you know? And, uh, but it was like, oh, no, no, we're, yeah, we're trying to be an individual. We all look the same. You know what I'm saying? Young people are like, yeah, I'm going to express myself. What are you wearing? We, we, we look good? Yeah, great. Yeah, all the same. <laughs> see, you see all these young people, and they're always like, yeah, I'm looking. And they look exactly the same. We're expressing ourselves. Got the rip right there, the jeans exactly there, there, you know? Got the, and uh, we had holes in our jeans before it was trendy. I mean, it was just, you just wore them out and... Oh, and, uh, and long hair, wannabe hair, wannabe hippie hair, had long hair. Oh, oh the glory days, don't get me started. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, that, that season, when I got saved in the Northern Beaches area of Sydney, there were so many young teenagers like myself getting born again. Many of them still in ministry, still serving the Lord in our movement. Um, pastors within this movement of churches and other parts of the world and you don't realise it at the time but you think wow it was so easy Uh, people were getting born again and I'm convinced that there were a whole bunch of people praying in the years leading up to that and then the other time we saw it was in Russia in the early 90s and we know people were praying for years for all the Russians under the communist regime for 70 years Five years in jail for having a Bible in your house. Imprisoned into a gulag just for witnessing. Uh, people meeting out in the forest to go mushroom picking, you know, but sharing little scraps of scripture and having church meetings. And all these years, people all around the world praying. We went via Texas on their way to Russia and we met, we got the Texas hugs and these great big tough Tall Texans would come up and say, oh, you're going to Russia? Oh, we've been praying for those guys. These great big tough guys bawling their eyes out. They give you the Pentecostal handshake, $100, God bless you. And then they just hug you and pray for you. And it was just so big hearted. We've been praying for Russia. And, uh, you know, just uh, a lot of prayer. And then, of course, we were there at that historic time where we would see dozens of people coming to the Lord every Sunday. In fact, we had to make it hard. We'd say, now, listen, don't come to the front unless you've thought about what you're doing. Yeah. Right? Now, we're going to have an altar call in a minute. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> right? But now, no, no, we're going to pray for you. you want to go, just wait a minute. You know? And be like, ah! You know, these people. And it was just a time of revival. And now we go back whenever we can. We'd love to try and go next year hopefully because Ruth and I you know invited to speak in all these different churches where we worked all those years ago different pastors and leaders were still in touch with Um, but it's not the same now it's not the revival season they're very much more like other parts of the world where people are you know getting born again but they've caught up with a lot of consumerism and uh, you know a lure of wealth that the world offers and but there are seasons of revival there are times, and, uh, and, uh, and so we need to pray for that. And, you know, as we do, when we pray, there's a level of prayer that Jesus is talking about here that goes beyond, just like I said, that short, quick, simple, easily understood and articulated prayer. There's nothing wrong with those sorts of prayers. Oh, God, I really need this, and thank you. You promised that, so we pray for that. Amen. Right? But then there is sort of, uh, you know, Okay, this is what I mean. Uh, Romans 8.26, the Spirit, can you show that up there? Romans 8, is it verse 26? Likewise, the Spirit, look at this. The Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. 
Well, I've got to ask, when's the last time you groaned in prayer? When's the last time you felt the Holy Spirit interceding inside you? Kind of stirring you. More than just the quick, simple prayer. And, uh, you know, Charles Finney knew about that kind of prayer. He's considered one of America's greatest evangelists, if not the greatest evangelist that they've, they've ever seen. And, of course... You know, there's a level of gifting on some individuals for different ministries, and he was gifted as an evangelist. But he would say that the key to his success as an evangelist was not his oratory or his theology or his personal charisma. He would have put it down to his prayer. And you see that when you read his autobiography, um, as I am uh, at the moment, even from early days. And I just wanted to read a little passage. He's just become a Christian. And even his encounter initially with God, a lot of people went to church back then uh, and yet weren't really in relationship with God. And he was one of them uh, because the culture was to attend church, you know, just that's what they did. Uh, but he, he had an encounter with God. And then he goes off and starts uh, sharing his faith actively with all these people in his community. And they're getting touched and challenged and converted. And I just want to read, and Bethany, you'll be pleased to know I've got the less, slightly less ugly glasses that you've been telling me to wear if I read. I have these little slimline glasses I put in my pocket my kids hate. And when I have to use them for... See, I don't normally need the glasses because I have size 1 million font on my <laughs> iPad, right? So that's why you don't see me doing this all the time on Sundays, right? But if I'm reading a book that's got annoying normal size font, have you noticed that as you get older? I, the worst that I've realised over the years is the shampoo bottles in the hotels. That once, once upon a time I had no problem with it, and now I think, what, what is going on? It must be like a 10-year-old that's designed these bottles with miniature font and... And, and they don't just say shampoo, because even at a distance with enough light, I've been in hotels, I'm like, shampoo, oh, shampoo, condition, oh, I don't need that one, condition, right, good. Yeah. Uh, uh, but now they've got um, hair wash, you know, that's the shampoo, but you can't read that, so you think, it must be the body wash, don't we, that one, uh, what's, you know, and then you end up, you know, washing your hair with, you know, moisturiser, moisturiser. Yeah, <laughs> Um, in fact, Pastor Phil Pringle was talking about this the other day at our pastor's conference this week. He said once he got in the shower, same thing, he's talking about, and he says the soap wouldn't lather up until he realised that it was plastic over the soap that he hadn't been able to see, <laughs> to peel the pla thin little plastic. So everyone over 50 is having a laugh. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Anyway, back to the glasses. Back to Charles Finney. So here's Finney. And just listen to the undergirding of prayer through this whole... Uh, scenario. He talks about a charming girl, very much enlightened on the subject of religion, but she remained in her sins. So one of the elders of the church and myself agreed to make her a daily subject of prayer. Listen to this, daily subject of prayer to continue to present her case at the throne of grace, morning, noon and evening, until she was either converted or should die, or we should be unable to keep our covenant. I found my mind greatly exercised about her as I continued to pray for her. All right, we're talking 18th century language here, uh, 19, early 19th century. I soon found, however, that the elder who had entered into the arrangement with me was losing the spirit of prayer for her. 
That's sadly easy to do. Someone had, you know, waned, backed off. This did not discourage me. I continued to hold on with increasing importunity. I also availed myself of every opportunity to converse plainly and searchingly with her on the subject of her salvation. So he's praying and he's wearing her down. He's talking, look, he's conversing plainly and searchingly with her on the subject of salvation. What a great term. Talking to someone searchingly, right? And how is it with your soul? After I continued this way for some time, I went to see her. There's a big kerfuffle in the house. He goes on, talks about his, the sister who was a Christian saying, oh no, she's become a universalist, which is, you know, sort of a distortion of Christian truth saying, oh, all roads to heaven and, you know, don't have to get specific about this Jesus person too much, you know. So... The discovery that this young woman, instead of being converted, was being convinced of universal salvation, so astounded me that I could not break through with my faith and get hold of God in reference to her case. There seemed to be a darkness hanging over the question, as if a cloud had risen up between me and God in regard to prevailing for her salvation. But still the spirit struggled within me with groans that cannot be uttered. So he's referring to that passage we just read from Romans. However, I was obliged to retire that night without having prevailed. I was just talking about prevailing. But as soon as it was light, I awoke. And the first thought that I, was, that I had was to beseech the God of grace again for that young woman. I immediately arose and fell upon my knees. No sooner was I upon my knees that the darkness gave way and the whole subject opened to my mind. And as soon as I pled for her, God said to me, yes, yes. If he had spoken with an audible voice, it would not have been more distinctly understood than what this word spoken within my soul. It instantly relieved all my concerns for her. My mind became filled with the greatest peace and joy and I felt a complete certainty that her salvation was secure. So did you get onto that? He had prayed for her. He prayed for her earnestly for some time, but he felt a cloud. He didn't back off and go, oh, well, I've got other things to pray for and other people. This is one person. The great Charles Finney, you know, you could say, oh, well, I had to move on and do a campaign here or, you know, he'd just given up his law practice. He felt he could have uh, attended to that, but he, he, you know, he's lots of things you could do, but he feels this one person and he goes back until he gets that breakthrough and he senses God saying, yes, she's going to be saved. And then he says, I drew a false inference, however, in regard to the time which indeed was not a thing particularly impressed upon my mind at the time of prayer. I expected her to be converted immediately, but she was not. She remained in her sins for several months. I felt disappointed at the time that she was not converted at once, was somewhat staggered about the question of whether I'd really prevailed with God in her behalf. But so she does end up getting saved. But interestingly, he sensed the breakthrough months before she actually made the commitment. But the prayer was what, brought out that openness for her to get saved some months later. So I thought that's interesting. There's just a little picture of a great man of God and the, uh, the, the travailing, the pushing in, the intercession that we are called to. Because, you know, intercession is not a spiritual gift. You know, there are some people amongst us here and you feel particularly called. We've got a lovely group of ladies that come sometimes during the week and pray and they intercede. But it's not just for some people. It's not a gift for a few people. Some people attend to it more than others, but we're all called to pray, the, not just the ask, but the seek and the knock prayers as well. And so we just need to let the Holy Spirit, I think, challenge us 
and maybe set some time aside that we go beyond the shopping list kind of prayer, yeah? And then get to that point where I, I, I finished praying for what I thought I should pray for, but now am I allowing the Holy Spirit to groan? Am I allowing the Holy Spirit to lead me, to intercede, to really not know what to pray for, but to let him show me what I should pray for. And that's why we have times of prayer and fasting together with our meetings here, but also hopefully in your own time to set some time aside and just to, as I say, wait on God, not with the list of things that you think you need, but to say, God, what, what should I be praying for? And then let him lead you. Um, notice that passage also says, he helps us. He helps us in our weakness. Now, of course, he helps us to know what to pray for. He helps us in guidance, leading us to the word of God and the promises. But I think there's also a real refreshment that comes in our spirit that the Holy Spirit helps us with. When you're praying, when you're, I mean, you know, surely this experience, when you're stressed about something and then you pray about it, there's the peace of God. It passes all understanding, guarding your heart and mind. And it didn't come until you were in the presence of God. But you've got to go and find that place, shut the closet door, so to speak, and get in his presence. And, you know, just I'll, I'll finish with this analogy. Uh, you know, in Bible times, they had um, oil lamps uh, with a wick. And, of course, you might still have it if you've got a citronella lamp to keep the mozzies out in summer. Or, yeah, yeah. They, <laughs> Yeah, because you, you don't have electricity out there, do you? Yeah, yeah. Uh, or if you watch Survivor, the tribe has spoken, you know, those kind of lamps, you know, they got the, so they've got oil and they've got a wick that goes down into the oil. And just the, the reason I'm sharing that with you is, let me just backtrack a little bit, you know, the pastors conference I was just at this week for our C3 Australia pastors, there's a lot of talk about health, pastors' health, not physical health, so to speak, but um, not necessarily, but uh, uh, emotional and spiritual health, because sadly there's a high rate of burnout in our country for pastors. It can be very stressful, uh, a lot of frustrations, and uh, and and pastors uh, uh, sometimes burn out. Uh, but I've noticed that it's not just the professional Christians that can burn out; it's the laity, uh, it's the regular, all of us as believers uh, in in just serving God. Uh, over the years, if we're not careful, we can get dry and burned out. And so back to this analogy, uh, you know, the wick goes into the oil. And of course, the oil needs to get soaked up by the wick and the, the wick is fine. But of course, when you run out of oil in these kind of lamps, the wick will keep burning, but it'll start getting dry and blackened and in the end, burn out. And so the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit as oil. And, you know, when we're in the presence of God, he is there to soothe the hurting soul, to refresh us. They used oil as a cleansing agent in, in the Bible times. And so he, you know, cleanses us. He lubricates the, the working parts. Men, you can use that analogy for, you know, change your oil on your bike or your car. And, uh, you, you, you know, fresh oil, you can almost feel that, when I change the oil on my KDM, I can just feel it going, yes. It feels like it just purrs along and there's nothing worse than leaving your oil changes way too late and then you 
you've done those oil changes and it's black and you think, oh, it's a wonder it survived this, you know, and you've got bits of metal and, but it's great. You've got clean oil there and all the engine parts are well lubricated. And so we need the oil of the Holy Spirit and we get that when we're in his presence. Not primarily just, oh Lord, touch me, bless me. It's not all about me, but I think that it's a lovely byproduct of spending time in his presence, praying for what he's leading us to, yeah? All right, praise him. Well, we'll finish up. I just want to finish with one quote um, from E.M. Bounds, who, as you may have heard before, one of the greatest uh, exponents and authors on the subject of prayer. Well, first of all, let's just notice that Jesus did bring great healing to this boy, to this family. If we go back to that story, that's pretty good. That's powerful. That's life-changing. And, of course, prayer changes situations, changes lives. And Bounds said this, in just in terms of our, our uh, love for prayer, that it shouldn't be uh, a duty. He said, prayer should not be regarded as a duty, which must be performed, but rather as a privilege to be enjoyed, a rare delight that is always revealing some new beauty. Praise him. So I encourage you to pray this week and all the time and discover more of the Lord, more of his beauty, He's limitless, it's awesome, and we're going to be doing that this week, yeah? Praise Him. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.